probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Ryan Helped uh, on Instagram as Ryan Helped, if you want photos of food that I make and outdoors adventures that I go on and aminals. Awesome. Z, this is a, a, a podcast pro, an old podcast pro here. He's got a different thing to plug every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know the drill. <laughs> awesome. So today we are talking about uh, minute 44 of The Thing. Which uh, begins with ending that cliffhanger from last minute where we find out just how many hours it uh, takes for the thing to take over the entire world population from first contact. And uh, ends a minute later with uh, Bennings and Palmer carrying a body into, uh, into the storage closet. So, um, so let's dig right into the very beginning of this minute, which is uh, the answer to that question, which is the entire world population is infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Which, uh, which is a little over, it's about three, it's three years and 30 days, roughly. So yeah, let's talk about that. But I was, I was kind of surprised when I saw this movie and not really kind of thinking it through in my head. It seemed that 27,000 hours seems like a much smaller space of time than, than three years. I don't know why, but it, 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 when I found out, when I actually, you know, did the math and realized it was that long, I was like, oh, well, that actually doesn't seem quite so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think part of it comes down to we're still not sure exactly how this thing spreads like is it infecting one thing at a time or can it be in multiple bodies simultaneously i think it's the latter yeah but it's a little unclear at this point in the movie and unclear from the way it's being simulated like we talked about yesterday yeah yeah that's true they're not i guess actually now that i'm thinking about it i don't think you really ever see more than one very obvious of thing at, yeah. a t- at a time. Yeah, not simultaneously. So Now, is that a function of they just happen to kill it sequentially and they kill it as soon, you know, they're killing the old one as it's infecting a new one. And so if they weren't killing uh, versions of it, would it be existing simultaneously as two separate human-like organisms that are both the thing? Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think the assumption in the movie later on is that, you know, it could, that they think there probably is you know, multiple people infected at once because, you know, McCready makes that whole speech about how, you know, some of you are at least still human because otherwise you just turn on me. Right. So, in, yeah, in that scenario, it's acting much more like a zombie outbreak than than a single organism just bouncing from host to yeah, host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it, it really gives up uh, an organism when it when it takes over the next one. And this is something that's made much more clear in the novella. This movie is actually really pretty closely follows the the novella um who goes there but uh that's one thing that the novella explains in a lot more detail in that it talks a lot about how it gains mass by by absorb digesting other organisms and then it can split into multiple things like it can't just okay it can't just you know because that's one thing that you know somebody watching this movie might assume like okay well you know at this point why doesn't it just turn into you know something that you know why does it just morph into something else and and leave you know and try and escape right now 
but it, it, I guess the idea is at the beginning of the movie, it only has enough mass to make a dog. And so it has to gain mass by, you know, absorbing the, the, the people and the other dogs so that it can become multiple organisms and, and, and start to spread. I'm not sure that scans with how big a chunk of ice they had to remove to get the thing out. That's a good know, point. How big a chunk of ice the Norwegians pulled up. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I guess that depends on how, how much uh, credence you lend to the, the prequel where, you know, there's all kinds of places where it gained and lost mass in, in that whole scenario. But based on just this movie, yeah, that is kind of an interesting point that we don't really see exactly. Although we, I guess we saw the double face kind of yeah. thing. So maybe it had some mass there that, you know, we don't know that yet, but that, that is that, uh, that creature is still alive at some in some way right. too. But based on the well-founded scientific principle of Captain America thawing, <laughs> you, know, you don't need to pull that much ice out to get the body. Yeah, especially if you're intending to thaw it, you don't want a much bigger piece of ice than the thing it is that you're trying to thaw inside the ice because that's just going to take longer. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good. I'm shocked that we haven't brought up Captain America in this movie yet. Uh, given <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying, Steve Rogers is the thing. <laughs> yes, there's definitely. I think there's some very obvious parallels that the Captain America movie is is trying to make to uh, to the thing. <laughs> Uh, or, or maybe the other way around. But since the comics uh, obviously came came before this movie, maybe uh, maybe John Carpenter really has it out for Captain America. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. This is a commentary. Yeah. Is there like have you? I mean, I've not really looked deeply into this. Is there any sort of political commentary that's being made in this movie? I don't. You know, that's interesting because if fan, fans of John Carpenter know maybe that he has some extremely strong political views. You know, some, something like uh, They Live makes it a lot more obvious than this movie does. Sure. Um, they Live is a, a pretty strong, gives a pretty strong political leaning. But, um, and obviously he's pretty outspoken now about, you know, what he believes and things like that. What does he believe? I honestly, I'm, I, I don't know. He's, he's very liberal. Um, okay. And uh, uh, in, in fact, there's actually a pretty interesting anecdote about that. Um, he, uh, I don't know if you know that They Live has been, really co-opted by a lot of uh, white nationalist groups as they, they take it as a movie about about Jewish people taking over the planet and that it's a metaphor for that. And Why are uh, white nationalists so bad at understanding the actual context of... Thi- like, because they also do this, you know, it's the men's rights activists do it with the red pill <laughs> matrix stuff. And I'm like, you're yeah. literally using a movie about discovering your true identity made by two trans women to... <laughs> say that like men are better than women like you guys are so dumb this is <laughs> so well, clearly not the point that was being made <laughs> i i don't tend to think of of uh of you know those kind of folks as being that intelligent from the get-go <laughs> yeah so uh yeah maybe it's maybe it just kind of goes hand in hand that but you know that's one of those things where um i don't think that was a that reading of the movie came about until relatively recently certainly not i don't think right around when the movie came out so you know it's one of those things where like you know most filmmakers would probably just ignore it but john carpenter immediately like took to twitter and you know told them that that's insane and that's definitely not what the movie's about and that you know they're assholes <laughs> so which is kind of awesome that makes me makes me love john carpenter even more oh yeah man i mean you know i know from a certain perspective the author is supposed to be dead right but it's uh it's also fun to watch somebody get shut down when they're just way <laughs> that far off base yeah definitely but yeah, I don't. I don't know that this movie really has a political leaning as much as it. Uh, there's definitely um, some really strong cases to be made for this movie being an AIDS metaphor, mm. especially given when it when it came out. Uh, and there, there's a lot of really interesting parallels that you can draw there, and and which ties it in even more with it follows. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That definitely the, the um, STD monster. Didn't think about that, but you're right. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's some. 
there's some very obvious parallels you can draw there, but I don't know that there's anything necessarily political about this movie. It's pretty pretty apolitical, I would I would say. I'm sure somebody. I, I think I agree with you, and I think this movie to me strikes strikes me as a movie that John Carpenter just really wanted to do because he thought it would be fun. Yeah, and I think it that comes through. Like it's just a really fun movie, and I think. He, even you know you can't necessarily get it from the performances and the actors but i feel like john carpenter had a blast making this yeah i know he talks about that this was a very difficult movie to make but i he also says it's easily you know his favorite movie that he's ever made and it's uh you know i i don't know that he necessarily took it on because he thought it was fun i always tend to think that he took it on because he thought it would be a challenge because mm, interesting because it is such a difficult it, you could see it being a very difficult thing to portray on film in that, you know, the monster is other people and not necessarily monsters in a lot of cases. Although obviously, you know, the thing that everybody remembers in this movie are the insane, gory special effects monsters. <laughs> but, um, you know, really when you look at the movie, the the villain is other people. Like you don't, the, the paranoia is obviously the key point in the movie. And that's kind of a hard thing to portray visually in an interesting way, I guess. But um, yeah, this was, you know, this was a movie that, the first kind of big budget movie he had after after his success with um, with Halloween and The Fog and Escape from New York, this was the first movie where it was not an independent film where he got you know major funding. So you know maybe he felt like he could take on something that was a little bit more difficult to do. So what's cool is we we talked about uh, it would take about you said just just over three years for the infection mm-hmm. to spread, which again like that's a very simplistic assumption. Because first and foremost, like, where's the where's the entry point? How is the thing getting yeah. onto the mainland? Is it going? You know, we uh, you mentioned in, in previous minutes that I was able to listen to that we don't ac- actually know where this outpost is supposed to be. Yeah, and so we don't know. Is it closer to like Patagonia, Chile, and Argentina? Is it closer to New Zealand? And even still, getting to either of those areas, like New Zealand's still an island, right? So you've yeah. still got that that hurdle to overcome. And then Patagonia's pretty remote. Like, it's, uh, you know, there's some cities down there, but you're, you're still cut off from a lot of humanity. And so I think there's some big assumptions here in how quickly this thing would be able to hop from place to place where there are human populations. Because you need a certain density of humans to transmit, or I guess, organisms in general, yeah, no, we're screwed. We're screwed. Uh, <laughs> if, if it can if it can mimic any living organism, because that's the other thing is there are no plants in Antarctica, so we haven't even seen what it could do with plant mass. Plant yeah, that's matter. true. Which you know ties into the uh, the thing from another world where that's the whole kind of thing is it does kind of take over. It's it's made of plant material, but oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. In the original movie, which has nothing to do with the the novella, that's not a thing that happens in the novella from from what I remember, anyways. But yeah, the original movie, it's the thing is a plant. It's a plant based organism. Because that makes it even that makes it even harder to deal with than zombies. Because zombies, we're assuming, by and large, can only infect humans or very similar to human like mammals. Like you never see, there's never like a zombie lizard that can also bite people and turn them into zombies. But if if the thing is capable of any biomass, then we're we're done. That's it. The, end. the only the only instance I can think of something like that is uh, it's a terrible movie, but it's it's funny. Is uh, Zombievers at the at the end of the movie they have a uh, it's it's kind of a, a joke that a bee gets infected, so it's a zombie. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah, that's true. You don't really see the other side of that uh, with, with zombie things. But yeah, I mean that's the other question is like in the um, in the prequel they make a big deal of a I, th- I think it's in the prequel they make a deal of a bird. They see a bird fly away near the end of the movie, and so you're left. Yeah, to but wonder. that's not. But 
what bird in Antarctica? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. the main bird of Antarctica is not known for its abilities of flight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to gonna march somewhere, but they ain't going to, they're not flying to South America anytime soon. Although, you know, that's one of those things, uh, you know, if one of those, if you want to really nitpick, uh, you know, if the thing has been on all kinds of other worlds and, and can at will transform into parts of that as it does, you know, when it took over the dogs, it's got spider looking legs and, and tentacles and things like that. What has it never encountered an animal that could fly? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> or swim. <laughs> Although there is, all right, so there is a bird that uh, my friends who have spent time in Antarctica talk about called the skua. Okay. Which I, I think it's like, it looks to me like a kind of a pigeon, you know, uh, pigeon, brown pigeon water bird sort of thing. It's a seabird. Mm-hmm. And I guess it likes to steal stuff. Like it just takes stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so they have like a pile of gear at McMurdo that like when you're if you're getting ready to leave the ice and you have something you don't want, you just toss it in the pile. And that pile is called the skua because people can just come scavenge from from the pile as That's if they were funny. this this little stealing bird. So there are other birds. There are birds that can fly that hang out in Antarctica. But presumably I'm I'm, I'm throwing out a guess here that that kind of bird would not be able to make it all the way from Antarctica to, you know, another landmass. It would that's probably not uh, not an easy flight to make, I wouldn't guess. I mean, there are big birds. There are birds like petrels, which are you know good at really long flights and staying in the air for a long time. Yeah. But I guess that also begs the question of like, does the thing? It seems like the thing knows the the knowledge of whatever it is it absorbs and takes over. So it would know how to fly if it took over a bird. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, that is something that kind of plays in later in the movie, and that they say you know. It talks like them and acts exactly like them, which makes yeah. it scarier. But so my my buddy Ben, when he did his um, zombie epidemiology paper for this book that we mentioned a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. his model assumed that people would just stay in cities and barricade the cities and try to hold off the outbreak that way. And yeah. in his models, if you do that, you can actually because because according to if you just assume the kind of infection rates that. Uh, Wilford Bremley Blair's model assumes the a city of about 500,000 people, which is like a good bit smaller than some place like Atlanta. You know, we're talking like a, a city smaller than, you know, Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. The zombies would take over in about three days. Wow. That's and that's quick. if you just assume that everybody's getting bit and turning pretty quickly and then also biting. And so it's like a very quick spread. But my buddy Ben was saying that if we just barricaded ourselves off in cities, we'd actually have a better chance assuming we don't starve. Like once you barricade yourself yeah. off from the zombies, then it's starvation that becomes the main problem that you have to survive. Right. But with this thing being able to infect any any living organism that wouldn't barricading yourself wouldn't work and we'd all just still die. <laughs> Yeah, and, and obviously it's a pretty hardy organism. It, it survived in the ice mm-hmm. for that long too, so it's not something that's, that's just going to die off while we while we hide. It's like a um, water bear. <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned that you know where where it made first contact would make a big difference too, because yeah, that's it's not like um, uh, I always get them mixed up. But I, is the first newer Planet of the Apes movie is that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Rise? I always get them mixed up. But I think Dawn is the first one. Okay, so like in the end of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where we see. It spreads because a pilot is has the has the infection and and you know it's if it's going from one you know very densely populated area to another densely populated area then it makes sense that it would spread pretty quickly but to go from Antarctica to you know some somewhere else on the southern tip of the world there it's probably going to be a lot slower than than something like that 
but yeah, it would make a huge difference. You have no, you know, that's a big assumption. Yet another assumption that this computer program uh, that Blair has put together makes. I was wrong. It's Rise of the Planet of the Apes first. Ah, see, then Dawn, I did the same then, thing. Then War. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't make. Why would a rise? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do I, love those movies though. Me too. Yeah, the new one was fantastic. I still I still think the original 1968 one is the best they, they've done. The best. It's one. pretty awesome. I, I need to go back and, and do a do a marathon of the original uh, the original movies and and. Whew. Beneath yeah. beneath the planet of the apes is hard to get through, but <laughs> I've, I've only, I think I've only one. seen the first one. I, uh, but I, I got the collection not that long ago, and I've been dying to kind of just go through them. That uh, th- that's a series that that uh, I think may already. I, I don't remember if it has a, a movies by minute podcast yet, or if it's maybe in development. But that's that's a series yeah, that I was definitely be deserves amazed it. If it didn't. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hide this podcast when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. We have no way of reaching the listeners to tell them to support the show by using the donate button at thethingminute.com while we're stuck here in this storm. If only they knew. (sighs) There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. Harper, out. So uh, yeah, back in, in this minute, we do uh, we get yet another look at uh, look at Blair looking at a blank screen, and this is my favorite one where he just kind of shakes his head. <laughs> and then you got McCready just continuing to get drunk as if that's the best idea in a crisis. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's hardcore about that in this movie. That is his strategy up to, up to this point. I assume they've all been down there for a while and have acclimated, but they're probably up pretty high in terms of elevation like antarctica is kind of a tall continent mm-hmm. and then it's really dry and so he's probably dehydrated slightly and so I, I don't know um if you or your listeners have had experience drinking alcohol at elevation but it hits you a lot harder a lot faster yeah. and so <laughs> like if anything like he's extra inebriated in this scenario and that's his strategy for dealing with an alien monster i guess that's true well yeah i mean i guess you could you could maybe argue that that's part of his kind of uh uh character plot in the movie is that he he starts kind of having no interest in saving anybody or or even participating really um and even in the next minute we get a line about him wanting to just go to a shack and get drunk but yeah, in the first half of the movie, all he does, every single scene we see of him, he's got a drink in his hand in, in one form or another. Yeah, so he's, uh, and depending on your your view of how long, how how much time has passed between these scenes, like he, yeah, he'd be like, you know, blacked out at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it does, it does nicely set up the final sequence of the film. Yes, definitely. And that's what I was going to say is this this minute has not one, but two very close-up shots of uh, of alcohol again. So going into that theory that we talked about earlier in the week that, you know, we're we're kind of focusing on those uh those close-ups of alcohol in one way or another to kind of set you up for that that uh interpretation of the ending. So yeah, we definitely get a lot more of that here. But I do like that McCready is is examining the underwear which again kind of places him in a position of He's trying to understand what's going on and is maybe maybe a half a step ahead. Like, you know, he ain't got no science learning, but he's got some common sense uh, <laughs> in trying to figure out what's happening. And that's that's kind of the hero of the movie that he is is like the the common sense. Like, let's let's just get it done. Uh, somebody's got to take charge. And th- this is one of those scenes where you kind of see that beginning. I do I do find it odd looking. You know, this is one of those things that I never considered until looking at the movie minute by minute, but it, the way he's sitting there, why is his trash can so close to him? <laughs> it's like he's sit, it's, it's like it's pressed up against him in his chair. Like that seems like a really odd place to keep your trash. 
in the room. I don't know. <laughs> I just noticed that this time. Yeah, around. that seems more like about how they had to frame the shot with exactly. the camera in a small room. Uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but um, I do like, uh, actually, I, I skipped it, but in the just before we cut to McCready again, we see uh, Blair grabbing his gun out of the drawer, which is not Wilford oh, Brimley's yeah, hands, that's... by the way. Uh, Wilford Brimley, there's a lot of places where anytime they could not use Wilford Brimley, they did not. So, which tells me that either he was very busy or could not be bothered to uh, to be involved. I'm not sure. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, somebody else's uh, somebody else's hands. But I did. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you know, watching a, a high high def version of the movie, you can tell that the paper that's in that desk, which I always kind of wondered if it was maybe like a page of the script or something, just kind of left around that they grabbed. It's actually a fire safety manual. <laughs> Which is um, kind of ironic, given given where the movie goes. There's there's a lot of kind of hints early in the movie about uh, about fire and explosions and stuff. They uh, one of the arcade games in the rec room is uh, is Heat Wave, and then obviously there's a lot of extin- extinguishing fires early in the movie. But I think it all kind of foreshadows in some way the uh, where the where the end of the movie goes. Well, and uh, you know that is the kind of documentation you actually would be required to keep in a lab. Right. Yeah. So. It, Good, uh, good set dressing, and also maybe some extra- extraordinarily subtle storytelling. <laughs> yeah, so him him going for his gun is you know telling. It's one of those things where it's like, is he going to protect himself, or is this him? You know, obviously we know what's going to happen later, having seen the movie. But uh, you know, seeing it for the first time, you don't know whether it's he's using it as self defense or whether he's thinking about, okay, this is his first thought of I have to, you know, take out everyone at this camp you know to save the greater greater humanity like he, maybe he's planning on attacking the rest of the group so it's kind of a it's kind of a creepy yeah, moment definitely a sequence of a man losing his grip right yeah exactly so which uh which his haggard confused uh facial expressions definitely play into <laughs> um so um yeah i think that will that probably wraps up this one i, I don't think i had anything else uh specifically about this minute did you no no i covered everything i i had to say cool all right, so um, that will wrap up minute 44 of the thing, but you can always go to moviesbyminutes.com if uh, if the thing minute is not enough for you. There are a gazillion Movies by Minute podcasts out there now. It seems like there's a new one every couple of days. So uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff on there. You can listen to Alien Minute has, has been going on for a while. Um, if you're into John Carpenter, there's a Big Trouble in Little China uh, one where they covered, I believe that one covers it five minutes at a time. Um, but yeah, there's tons and tons of them. So if uh, if you have any interest in, in checking some of those out, I would definitely recommend that. As well as obviously Star Wars Minute, the uh, the guys who kind of started this format and and are starting their uh, fifth sixth season uh, at some point pretty soon. So they've been they've been around the block a few times. Uh, so definitely check those guys out. In the meantime, uh, while you're doing that, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of the Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thethingminute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.